0: Appreciate y'all being with us and leading us this morning. We need to uh, take care of our memory verse this morning, and it is from Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38. So let's say the scripture reference and the verse, and it's uh, a little bit missing this week, but I'm going to help you. Remember, it's mind, wrong, see? How many of y'all caught that? None of you. How does it start? It's heart soul, mind. Heart, soul, mind. Heart, soul, mind. We got it now? Here we go. Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Matthew 22, 37, 38. That's good stuff right there. And that is what we're studying this week. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 22, we're actually going to start in about verse 15. Uh, You may remember that last week we looked at what happened when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem on what is traditionally called Palm Sunday. (laughs) During the Palm Sunday celebration, Jesus had been over on what is called the Mount of Olives. He comes down riding on a colt. And people are doing some amazing things. They're taking their coats off and laying them on the path that he's traveling down. And then they take palm branches, cut them, and lay them on the path that he's traveling down. And they start shouting, Hosanna, Son of God, or Son of David in the highest. Hosanna to the Son of David in the highest, which means God save us. And you'll recall that we talked about last week that within the span of a week, they were already shouting crucify him. It went that quickly from God save us, to crucify him. I've told you why we're taking four weeks to look at the last week of Christ's life, and it's really because he spends one-third of the gospels are dedicated to what he spent teaching there, is how I should say it. So if you think about all the gospel writings, literally one-third of them are containing the last week of his teaching. So it's pretty important. Next week, we're going to look at some prophecies that he gave us, Uh, through the parable of the talents and how some of those prophecies are still yet to be fulfilled. And we're waiting on God to do that in our lives as well. But I want you to see uh, this week, Jesus was pretty busy. He had a lot going on. When he comes into the temple area, I want you to put this picture in your mind for just a second. Jesus takes a whip out and he starts driving out the money changers. So, I mean, that's a picture we don't think about very often, is it? Here he is riding down a mountain on a colt, we all get that, Hosanna, son of David in the highest, we get that. But then driving, I mean, think about that. And that immediately put him at odds with some of the religious leaders who are also some political leaders in Jewish life. And we're going to look today at three different traps that they tried to set for Jesus. I've called this sermon Challenged because they tried to challenge the Son of God three different times. In Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to look at those. It's going to be a little bit different than how we normally go through the scripture because there are three distinct blocks of scripture that we're going to read in Matthew chapter 22. We'll study each of them kind of individually, but they all come back together at the end, I think, to help us understand what was going on. So, uh, Matthew chapter 22, and we'll start in verse 15. By the way, if you don't have a copy of the scripture, Uh, It'll be on the screen behind us. And if you don't own a copy of the scripture and you'd like to have one for free, stop by the Next Step Center and they'll get you a copy of the scripture today if you've never had a Bible. We'd love for you to have one. We think it's that important. So Matthew 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him They went away. There are two groups of people that are mentioned in this first challenge. One are the Pharisees, the other are a group of people called the Herodians. Let's start with the Pharisees. At the time of Christ, there were about 6,000 Pharisees, and they were responsible for the teaching of what was called the oral law, law that was added to the written law of God, and they were also responsible for the synagogues. In Jerusalem was the temple, and then outside of Jerusalem were synagogues where the scriptures were taught and they were people who uh, studied the scripture in the minutia. I mean, just spent a lot of time poring over it. And they had added to this these oral or kind of communicated by words here, law, uh, not found in the scripture. So when we think about them, it's a little unusual that they would hang out with a group of people called the Herodians. They were normally in conflict with one another. The Herodians get their name because they were Jews who were trying to use the political powers of the day. Herod, if you remember the time of Christ, we talk about at his birth, a man named Herod who tried to kill all the baby boys and that kind of thing. He was wicked. They were people who were trying to align themselves with Herod, so they were called the Herodians. They really wanted someone from Herod's family to be on the throne in Palestine. So that's kind of what's going on here. They normally didn't get along, these Pharisees and the Herodians. You may also remember the Apostle Paul, before he met Christ, was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he calls himself. In other words, he's saying, I was at the top of my game in understanding the law and all of these things. So these are the kind of two groups that are going on here. And in this unusual alliance, uh, the Herodians come to Jesus and try to get him caught in a plot that would get him to speak something against the government. Now, if we think about this for a second. What they were trying to do is get the Roman army, the Roman government involved in the plot to kill Jesus. You've got to understand for a second, the Romans were not concerned with Jesus. We kind of get that wrong sometimes. It wasn't that they were trying to kill Jesus. It was his own countrymen, his own people that were trying to get rid of Jesus. What the Herodians do is say, hey, let's get him caught up in a technicality. If we can get him to say something against the government, we got him. So what we'll do is we'll get him to say that God is more important than Caesar, because you have to remember that Caesar was a God who was worshipped. So what they're saying is, if we can get him to speak against Caesar, oh, we've got him dead to rights. So what do they do? Should we pay taxes? And Jesus answers as only he can do, says, hand me a coin. And he says, whose picture do you see on here? The likeness, whose is it? And they say, Caesar's. And he says, Well, then you should give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you should give to God the things that are God's. It's funny. As Americans, we know a little bit about how the Jewish people felt. In fact, our country was kind of founded on the idea that you shouldn't have taxation without representation. You remember the Boston Tea Party, right? That whole thing. The colonists were tired of being led by a government from far away and having to pay all these taxes, getting no benefits. That's how the Jews felt. And they particularly, if you've been around, as we've studied the Bible and the Gospels, we talk about tax collectors and how they were reviled because they were Jewish people who aligned themselves with the Roman government to collect the taxes, and basically they were robbing their own people because it wasn't just that they collected taxes. Remember, they were able to take extra for their own income purposes. So you have to understand, when they're talking about taxes, they think, we got it. This is how it's going to be. It's so easy. And Jesus says, No, because you need to be a good citizen. Now, this caused a little bit of a problem for the Herodians, didn't it? Because Jesus just said, In matters of authority, you have to understand there are two different authorities in our lives. Could I just speak to you about that for a second? Uh, there are two different authorities in your life that are set up all the time the country that you live in no matter your country of origin has authorities and we have a governmental authority here and I hope that you will understand when I say this you have a divine responsibility to be the best citizen of this country that you can be it's a divine responsibility because you're under the authority of the government where the only time that we can kind of throw off the authority of the government is where it goes against our conscience where we're asked to do something that would, would violate our spiritual conscience Against God. So when we talk about paying taxes, by the way, which is coming up, if any of you are thinking that that violates God and you should not pay taxes, well, good luck with that. We'll see how it works out. Not very well. You should pay your taxes. You you should do it. You should do that. You should vote. You should be a great citizen. In fact, one of the things that happened in our early Baptist history, we were called the Anabaptist. Ana means to be baptized again. Because these people had been baptized as infants. And then as they read the scripture, there were no infants baptized. And they said, you know what? We think this is after salvation. You need to be baptized. And so they were baptized again, right? But they didn't believe that you should be part of anything to do with the government. You pull out of all of that and you don't do that. We say no to that. We say that you should absolutely, if you have a chance to serve our government and make a difference, do it. Be a great citizen. If you have an opportunity to bless our city and an organization and make our city better, Do it, because when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices, right? When we rule well, the city rejoices. That's important for us to understand. Jesus wasn't saying, down with the government. And I think that's what they hoped he would say. They also thought, maybe we can get him caught in another trap. Because if he aligns with us, all these people who are following him, they hate the government. We'll get rid of him, because they won't follow him anymore. We'll kind of lop off his support at the knees, and it'll be over. Well, that didn't happen either, because Jesus said there's two kingdoms. There's a spiritual kingdom that we're serving, and there's a country that we're serving. He answered the only way that he could. You know, that helps us, doesn't it? Because if we keep that in mind, then all of a sudden, you begin to put your faith in the things that really matter. you got to remember, what were they wanting out of Jesus? A messianic ruler who was going to break the rule of Roman authority in their lives. And he says, that's not my purpose. I came to save your souls, but they weren't interested in that. My soul, forget my soul, we don't want the Romans. Just get rid of them. We're not worried about our souls. And that's why he came, is to save our souls. And he established his kingdom on earth in our hearts. And remember last week we said he's coming back again. But that gives us great comfort, doesn't it, as believers, because it gives us a warning to understand that it, well, I guess it doesn't matter who's in the White House then, does it? If you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, none of that matters. There's an authority set by God. We're good citizens, but I don't look to the White House to change our country. I don't have my hope in governmental officials. I don't have my hope in the authority of the government. The authority is set up to rule and provide order and law and all those things. Absolutely. But if you think the educational system is going to make it better, sorry. It won't. You can spend all of your time and energy trying to work in world systems and worry about who's going to be elected and all these things. And Jesus said, you render unto Caesar what Caesar, but what to God? What belongs to God? What belongs to God? The souls of men. The souls of men. And so we keep ourselves kind of in this bifocal focus, don't we? One under the authority of the land that we live in and trying to be good citizens, and you should be. And one as being a good citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which you should be as well. Because Jesus isn't worried about which political party you're in. He's not part of one. He transcends all of that. They couldn't see it. But then there was the second challenge. Look at verse 23 in Matthew Chapter twenty two. On that same day some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother of as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up his children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children left his wife to his brother. So also the second and third down to the seventh "'Last of all, the woman died. "'In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? "'For they had all married her. "'But Jesus answered and said to them, "'You are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures, "'nor the power of God. "'For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, "'but are like angels in heaven. "'But regarding the resurrection of the dead, "'have you not read what was spoken to you by God? "'I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. "'He is not the God of the dead, but of the living.' When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. This next trap came from a group of people called the Sadducees. These are wealthy, aristocratic people who had a very interesting slant on life. They didn't believe there was any kind of eternity. The soul ceased to exist, so you might as well get everything out of this life that you could. They were responsible for the temple worship in Jerusalem, and they were always at odds with the Pharisees, Because the Pharisees had this oral tradition of the law that they had added to the law. And the Sadducees said, no, God gave us the law in the first five books of the Bible. That's called the Pentateuch. And if you think about the Old Testament, it's divided essentially into three different kind of sections of writings. You have the law, the prophets, and then what's called the writings that encompasses everything else. So they were very, very interested in the first five books of the Old Testament only. And they bring up this law to Jesus about what's called the marriage law now if you've read the book of Ruth that's exactly what they're questioning him about here now it's a little lost on us I think because we don't understand why someone would need to be married seven times and why that would be important but if you remember what happened in Ruth's life she had no husband her mother-in-law had no husband she had no son and so what that meant was she was essentially destitute because her land no longer was hers. It all went down through the male lineage. And so what was supposed to happen for the protection of this widow is that if she died and her brother could, he would redeem her, make her his wife, and the land would stay there. She wouldn't be poor. Now Again, I realize that you may be thinking, well, who would want to do that? I was laughing, uh, thinking about this this past week. I was talking to one of our widows one time about dating and she said, I had a man once, and I don't need another one. Well, good for you. That's great. You know I mean? Nothing, nothing wrong with that. And, and I totally understand that sentiment, and, and maybe that would be how you were feeling now as well. But, but you understand this is a different day, and it, it may be a little lost on us, but Jesus says, guys, you don't get it at all. Now, if you're wondering how you can kind of keep all of these groups kind of separated, here's, here's the easy way. So you have Herodians, Herod, pro-government. Pharisees, Law, okay, just think law. Sad, you see, here's the easiest way to remember that. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see, okay? Now, some of you are laughing. You've never heard that, but it's not original to me. Uh, But that's the easiest way that you can remember it. And you should be sad if you don't believe in the resurrection either, because what happens when you die? Well, here's the thing. Jesus pointed out to them they had committed a fatal error. They had pulled a scripture and built an entire argument out of it. And they didn't interpret scripture with scripture. Jesus pointed out that they didn't understand the scriptures. And he said, you guys are trying to make everything on one point. And he goes back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. And he says, listen guys, the reason we believe in the resurrection is because of what God told Moses. In verse 6 he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. They thought Moses was very, very important. Because he was the one God had given the law to. You may remember that Moses had served in Egypt uh, and killed a man and had to leave. And he flees to a place called Midian. And he's hanging out there taking care of some sheep. And while he's doing that one day, there's a burning bush. And he walks over to look at it and God speaks to him from the burning bush. And Moses says, who are you? He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is one of those things that is a little lost on us, right? What tense is that? present i am the god of abraham god of isaac the god of jacob when god was speaking to moses all three of those people had been dead for more than 400 years how could that be that they are spoken of as being in present tense well it was because they're still living when we die that's not the end folks it's just the beginning and they had failed to realize something they were talking to someone about how he didn't understand the resurrection and trying to catch him in this little trap. And they'd failed to realize that Jesus himself had already raised three people from the dead. i, I got to be honest with you, I would forgotten about that. Uh, the one I always think about is Lazarus, right? Lazarus come forth, but there had been the daughter of a temple official Jesus had raised from the dead. There had also been a young man, a widow's son, raised from the dead and then our Lord and Savior would be raised from the dead by the power of God on the third day in about a week after this conversation had taken place it's really easy to kind of live your life as if there are no consequences and there's no problem with this kind of idea that says eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die but it's short-sighted The scripture says that life ends and then the rest of your life begins in eternity. And it says that there's coming a day of judgment when every action that you and I have done are going to be examined by the Lord and we're going to be rewarded for those actions in eternity. Now, there's two parts to eternity. There's heaven and there's hell. And so it's really important that we understand the resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul talked about the resurrection like this. He said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't believe in the resurrection, it's impossible to be saved. You can't. What Jesus was saying is, guys, you've missed the point. I am the resurrection and the life. I think before we move on, one of the things that I have to address is that in Christian circles today, there's this idea that how we live doesn't matter. That's us wrong. If you think for a minute that God saved you so that you can continue living like you lived before he saved you, you've missed it. If you think that grace was so free and so cheap that it doesn't matter how you live, you've missed it. You cannot divorce or separate holiness from salvation. It does not work. And that's what they were trying to do. It doesn't matter. Live for the moment. But we know that eternity brings into focus that we're going to be in judgment. Look at verse 34, third trap. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. The final challenger trap was brought by the Pharisees. They'd had enough. We tried to send the Herodians. They botched it. We've listened to the Sadducees. We knew they were going to botch it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to send one of our own, a lawyer, an expert in the law. You have to understand The Pharisees believed there were 613 laws that everyone needed to abide by. 248 were positive, meaning there was something you needed to do in the good for someone or for God, and that left, again, 365 negative, meaning you were supposed to avoid something. I want you to think about that for just a second. Most of you can't remember what you ate for breakfast yesterday, and if you've done your taxes with TurboTax, you have no idea how the tax laws have changed over the last year and whether or not your taxes are right. So how do you think you're going to keep up with 613 laws? tough right so they send an expert in and they say we got him this time all we have to get him to do is to name one of the wrong laws that we don't think are that important and the people will not esteem him anymore because what they did is they spent all this time looking at these 613 laws and saying well this is the most important and then this and they kind of ranked these out and you can just imagine what that would be like and aren't you glad that jesus said i came to fulfill the law What a blessing. You have to know the 613. Jesus sums it up like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. For anyone else, this would have been no simple task, but it's quite obvious that Jesus knew the law better than they thought he did. I guess he would know the law because he is God. He was there when God gave the law to Moses. He has existed for eternity. This is not a shock to him. And it's interesting. What does he do? He throws it right back on him. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we think we're quoting Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses uh, uh, 37 and 38, but really that's Jesus quoting from the Old Testament. Listen to what he said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He says, look, this is where it's at. All the law can be summed up that way. Think about the answer that he gave. All 613 are summed up that way. Sounds easy, right? Until you try it. How have you loved the Lord your God this week? Well, does he have all of your heart? Oh, I love the Lord. I, you know, pastor, I love the Lord. Well, okay. Where's your soul? What are you worried about this week? What What's consuming your mind this week? What are you giving your strength to this week? What are you giving your best efforts to, right? I mean you realize that what he's saying is that's the the way that you do it. And then he says, and guys, you know, just to be sure that you understand it, the second one is like that, and he quotes Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. Don't take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In those two laws, Jesus summed it all up. So if you think about just the Ten Commandments for a minute, the first one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, sums up the first half of the Ten Commandments. And then the second one, love your neighbor as yourself, sums up the bottom half of the Ten Commandments. Because when you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't take vengeance on them. You don't hold a grudge. You wouldn't hold a grudge, would you? You, you wouldn't have unforgiveness in your life, would you? You wouldn't try to get someone when you had a chance, would you? I mean, See, when we love our neighbors ourselves, we're not trying to cheat them or or lie or covet what they have. And without realizing it, Jesus had just said, that's how easy it is. It's just two, but oh, by the way, you can't even keep two. So forget the 613. Let's just take the two. When we realize that, we realize again the need for a Savior, don't we? We realize our need for a Savior and how desperate it is. Because what Jesus was saying was nobody's good enough. Guys, you are so religious. The Pharisees were so religious is what he's saying. You spend all this time and you think you're really wise in your own eyes because you know all these things. By the way, that's a danger for us. You may think this morning, well, I've really become somebody. It's kind of like I know the inside jargon of the church. I know when they're going to pass the plate. I know what to do. I know that we stand up and we shake hands and we say brother and sister at the right time and I know when they're going to pray because I'm religious. I got it. I've been reformed. I even know what kind of clothes to wear at this church. I mean, I got it. It doesn't matter. Because if you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, it doesn't matter how well you justify yourself in your own eyes. Pharisees were famous for doing, you remember what Jesus said, About how prideful they were, you remember they were watching some people in the temple one day and the Pharisee looked up and said, God, I thank you I'm not like that guy. Tax collector, just thank you that I am not like him. Prideful. Remember the tax collector beat his chest and said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, you better pay attention. It's not that. It's this guy. He got it. He understands the mercy of God. And that's the danger for us, is we get so puffed up and we get pride. And and, and it just goes back to this. I mean, what are you thinking about all day? What occupies your mind? What has your heart's desires? Where are they rooted? Where are they seated? It's really easy to be religious, isn't it? You can come in here and be religious, but not care for your neighbor. Not think about them at all. Be so self-centered. And so I want to bring this back for us for just a minute. These three challenges... And these traps are traps that we can fall into as well. I mean, like, where are you getting your satisfaction and your hope for life? Is it in the government? Is it in your job? Are you hoping that that you can provide something external into your life? And and here's what I think they wanted to do. What they really wanted to do is they wanted to shape Jesus to be something that was a little bit self-serving, and every group had a different purpose, right? Right? The Herodians wanted somebody who was going to make the political life better with Herod. The Sadducees wanted somebody that would say, it's just okay to live however you want because there is no eternity. It doesn't matter. Live however you want. Spend it all now. Party it up. The Pharisees wanted somebody who could clean up really good and know all of the things. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted to kind of shape him to fit their lifestyle. Let me help you with something. Jesus didn't come to be a tack on. To your life. He came to blow your world apart. You say, well, what do you mean by that? W- when you meet the Son of God, it's not my life plus a little bit of Jesus. It doesn't work that way. When Jesus comes in, he, he has to blow up your whole world because here's what we do. We don't realize that we're starving ourselves. I was thinking about this this week. And, and this is what I mean by this. This is, this is why how easy it is to kind of think about Jesus being a tack-on to your life. Thursday, I was driving in my car, and I just thought, I don't know, I I don't know why it came across my mind. I just thought, Lord, you know, our life would be a lot easier in terms of telling people how wonderful you are if you would just bless everybody who followed after you and starve everybody else. You know why? Because then everybody could clearly see the benefits, right? And the Lord said, and that's why you're not God, and I am. Because if that's how it worked, everyone would just come over here to get rich. They wouldn't love me. They'd be getting something out of it just for them, right? And as I thought about it this week, I thought, well, the funny thing is, though, is that our lives without Christ are starved. They're already starved. Now, you may not realize it this morning because you may have enough money in your bank account to feel like you're protected and you're not starved. Or maybe you can drink your problems away or you can take enough drugs where you don't feel it anymore, you're numbing the pain. Or maybe you've looked for a relationship to just make you feel good or or you want everything in your work life to be that attaboy that pats you on the back and just says you're great and you want the applause of men. I mean, you can be starved and not realize it. But the only way that you get over that is for Jesus to come and blow up your world. You, You can't take him and fit him in a little box and... Carrying him on the side of your life. It will not work. He blows our world apart. And when he does, we realize, it, well, I was starving. It, it wasn't working. But then he builds it back. And there's a richness there. And so the question becomes are you trapped? Are you challenged? So for me this week, can I just be honest with you? My mind was anywhere else but Jesus. I mean, it just showed up this week. I'll I'll be honest with you. I was thinking about vacation. I was thinking about the fact that I got a birthday coming up. That could be good or bad, right? I was thinking about things that I wanted to do this weekend. I was thinking about the chore list I had at home. I was thinking my how I need to get my car fixed. I, need to, I, mean, I mean, how hard is it to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Pretty hard. And I needed a reset this week. I, I know that I know the Lord. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I needed a reset to say, you know what? I'm out of bounds here. And I need you, Lord, to blow that world apart. Because none of that stuff matters. Ultimately, yeah, I need to do my chores. Ultimately, I do need to get a car fixed. Ultimately, I may or may not need to plan my own birthday party. You know what I mean, men in the room. You know, right? So, here's the thing. Well, what do you do when you come to the end of yourself... And you realize that you've been starving yourself. Well, for some of you this morning, Christ has never been Lord of your life, ever. You've never given your life to him. And here's the thing. If today you would confess Jesus as Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it may be like one came in our first service for salvation. That it's time for you to do that. God's been dealing with you on that. For some of us, we realize we've been worried too much about politics or worried about this or being prideful about how good we are. And we've missed it. We've gotten caught in the trap. And we need to realize that it's Jesus. Nothing more. That needs our full devotion, our energy, our attention. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me and pray. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song of response. And the song has one of the greatest lines in it that I think has ever been written. When it says, if you'll turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of the earth grow strangely dim. They don't go away. They just don't seem to be as important. You may have heard, if you're struggling with something, ask yourself, you know, is this going to be important to me in five years? That's a great way to know if you should make a big deal about it. Well, what if we extrapolated that out? Is this going to matter in eternity? I mean, all the things you're giving yourself to, is it going to matter in eternity? If you gain the whole world but lose your soul? And maybe like me, you need a reset. You're a believer and you just need to hit the reset today. And our altars will be open as we sing. And you can come and just say, Lord, I need a reset. I need to repent, and I need you to forgive me. I want to love you with all of my heart, soul, and mind. Maybe for somebody it's the first time you've ever said that. And that's okay. As we stand to sing, I'm going to invite you to come take me by the hand like that girl did in the first hour. And I'll spend some time talking with you and I'll tell you how you can know Jesus. And it will feel like he's blowing your world apart, but I promise you he'll put it back together so that it actually works. Father, we come before you now and we realize that we get caught up in so many different things and we just miss it. We're challenged, we're trapped. For the one who needs salvation today, Lord, we pray that you would move in their hearts. And for those of us who need a reset this week, God, just reset our focus to be you. Let us see Jesus full and wonderful. And let the things of this earth that we're so distracted by fall away. So that we can live on purpose and on mission in relationship with you. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.